Absalom said to Ahithophel, Give us your advice. What should we do? Ahithophel answered, Sleep with your father's concubines, whom he left to take care of the palace. Then all of Israel will, will hear that you have made yourself obnoxious to your father, and the hands of everyone with whom with you will be more resolute. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof, and he slept with his father's concubines in the sight of all of Israel. Now in those days, the advice of Ahithophel gave was like that of one who inquires of God. That was how both David and Absalom regarded all of Ahithophel's advice. Ahithophel said to Absalom, I would choose 12,000 men and set out tonight in pursuit of David. I would attack him while he is weary and weak. I would strike him with terror, then all the people with him will flee. I would strike down only the king and bring all the people back to you. The death of the man you seek will mean the return of all, and the people will be unharmed. This plan seemed good to Absalom and to all the elders of Israel. But Absalom said, Summon also Hushai the archite, and we can hear what he has to say as well. When Hushai came to him, Absalom said, Ahithophel has given this advice. Should we do as he says? If not, give us your opinion. Hushai said to Absalom, The advice of Ahithophel, Ahithophel has given is not good this time. You know your father and his men. They are fighters, and as fierce as a wild bear robbed of her cubs. Besides, your father is an experienced fighter. He will not spend the night with his troops. Even now, he is hidden in a cave or some other place. If he should attack your troops first, whoever hears about it will say, there has been a slaughter among the troops who follow Absalom. Then even the bravest soldier, whose heart is like the heart of a lion, will melt with fear, for all Israel knows that your father is a fighter and that those who are with him are brave. So I advise you, let all Israel from Dan to Beersheba, as numerous as the sand of the seashore, be gathered to you, with you yourself leading them into battle. Then we will attack him wherever he may be found, and we will fall on him as he as dew settles on the ground. Neither he nor any of his men will be left alive. If he withdraws into the city, then all Israel will bring ropes to that city, and we will drag it down to the valley until not as much as a pebble is left. Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The advice of Hushai the Archite is better than that of Ahithophel. For the Lord had determined to frustrate the good advice of Ahithophel in order to bring disaster on Absalom. This is the word of the Lord. It's great to have all the visitors and guests. Um, I'm having trouble with the wire and everything else today, I think. Um, just to let you know, uh, we, as we preach and teach, we kind of go right through the text, uh, verse by verse, so you can have your Bibles open. It might be really good today to have them open to, to 2 Samuel chapter 17. We'll hit the first 14 verses of that chapter. Uh, as we do this, though, a lot of times you're not coming in. It's not a different uh, like message thematically one week and then something totally different the next. It kind of flows, and so it might take a little bit of time to kind of get into the flow of the text if you haven't been here. Um, so I, I'll pray that that that's, uh, it would happen well and that you'll understand what we're into and, and all that good stuff. Um, 
it's really good to know what's coming so we're not surprised by things. Now, having said that, uh, I'll ask you to ask me all that that means, because some of the things, well, you know, sometimes things surprise us, but it's good to know that God's in control, and then whatever comes, we're not ultimately surprised, because God's in control of, of those things and brings them. I, I say that statement primarily to tell you that it's not going to be until page 9 of my 15 pages of notes that we'll actually look at the first verse of chapter 17. So, and having said that, my sermon today is no longer than my normal. So, uh, there you go. <laughs> So we'll, we'll eat at, at a, dec- a decent time. So there you go. Um, the scriptures say that God's kingdom will know no end. We've just sang that too. Nothing that comes against it will stand. And yet it often seems that the promises of God and the triumph of the Lamb are anything but certain. I think you would agree with that in your life. The great enemies of God, the, the world, Satan, the devil, and sin seem to be winning the day pretty often. And even God's very own people rebel against him time and again. They go their own way. They have their own plans and agendas for their own kingdom. There's all sorts of Absaloms and Ahithophels, King David's very own son and friend, that are coming hard and with great strength against God's king and God's kingdom and bringing with them their own agendas for their own kingdom. And I I think this week, uh, and I think that, we should all understand this, that you and I are much more like Absalom and Ahithophel than we want to admit or imagine. Uh, we, like them, run uh, against the, the, the purposes of God's kingdom, seeking our own interests and seeking our own kingdom's agenda pretty often. As we come to 2 Samuel 16 and 17, we see the Absaloms and Ahithophels are convincingly winning the day at the moment. Uh, the outcast king, David, and his company, they're worn, they're weary, they're tired, they're troubled, and they're once again in the wilderness. With the coming plans that Ahithophel and Absalom have to finish them off once and for all, we need to keep our fingers in some pages of Scripture. We need to mark them, and then we need to come back to them, lest we lose all hope. So, with that, let me give you some scriptures uh, to put your fingers in to mark them that we need to come back to often. 1 Samuel 28:17. The Lord has done accordingly as he spoke through me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand, Saul, and he's given it to your neighbor, to David, God's chosen and anointed Messiah. So the first one is this, 1 Samuel 28:17. The Lord has spoken and he's keeping his word that he's given the kingdom to his chosen Messiah, David. 2 Samuel 3.18. Now then, do it. For the Lord has spoken of David, saying, By the hand of my servant David, I will save my people Israel from the hand of the Philistines and from the hand of all their enemies. Great promise that will come through David. 2 Samuel 5.2. Previously, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led, us, led Israel out and in. And the Lord said to you, and this is David, previously when Saul was king, David was the one who was really gaining the victory. And the Lord said to you, David, you will shepherd my people Israel, and you will be a ruler over Israel. So these texts are great promises. God has spoken, and it's, he's bringing it about. God has chosen his anointed one to be king. He's made him king. And now the next text is he gives promises to that king and to all his offspring. This is 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 through 16. This is the covenant that God made with David 
and to all his offspring through the offspring, Jesus, David's greater son. When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you, singular descendant, Jesus, who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, we've already been through that. This is not Jesus committing iniquity. This is uh, uh, Solomon committing iniquity, pointing to Jesus who eventually would not commit iniquity. But anyway, I will correct him with a rod of man and the strokes of the sons of men. But my loving kindness shall not depart from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. For your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. And uh, yes, we need to keep our fingers in these pages when we get to places like 2 Samuel 16 and 17, and it doesn't seem that God is winning the day or keeping his promises. But did you hear what he says in this, this last text? God says, I will do this. I will do this. I will raise up a king. I will establish his kingdom. I will build his kingdom. I will love him and his kingdom will endure forever. And my love and my spirit will never depart from him. Those are great I wills from the Lord. Great and magnificent promises are ours through David and ultimately through David's greater son, Jesus. And Jesus uh, has a lot of those who oppose him, just like David uh, has a lot of people opposing him. But the, the word says that they will not prevail against him. But what about the characters and the circumstances in our story? They're real. And as we read them, God means for us to look at them like, wow, God's king, kingdom, and promises are all like, uh, is he going to keep them or is he not? And if they fail and fall and the enemies win the day, God fails and falls and all the promises and all his people along with him. We need to recall the passages that we just read as we go forward and the passages that are coming. But what about those times that we believe those promises, but man, everything around us seems to be saying, it's not going to work. It's not going to happen. God's not going to win the day. There's no way. Uh, then we need a passage like this, the next one. This is still one of those to put your fingers in. 2 Samuel 12, verses 14, or 10 through 14. This is perhaps, I think, one of the key passages of all of 2 Samuel let me read it. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house. This is God through Nathan the prophet talking to David. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house, David, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. I will even take your wives before your eyes and I'll give them to your companion. We're going to find out that that's Absalom his son, and he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. Indeed, you did, it in secret, you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all of Israel and under the sun. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has taken away your sin, you shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born to you shall surely die. Now, in the previous passage that we read earlier, God says, I will establish, I will build, I will raise up a king, uh, and I will have him be king forever. His kingdom, and of his kingdom, there will be no end. Uh, I will never leave him. My spirit will never depart him. 
And now we come to some more I wills. They're pretty terrifying. I will cause the sword to never leave your house. I will cause one within your household to rise up against you, David. And I will take your wives, and I'm going to give them to your neighbor. And the, the thing that you've done to Bathsheba secretly, I'm going to have done before the whole Israel to your wives. Um, man. And we've seen that those have come about. If you've been here, you've seen that all those things came about. Absalom came up, a sword within his own house uh, that rose up against him. David was not able to build the temple because he was a man of war, and he was a man of war till his death, and so his son had to build the temple. There was no peace, and so there was no temple. And then we saw uh, the last time we were in, the, in this text that um, David's concubines that he left back behind in Jerusalem as he fled the city were taken by Absalom at Ahithophel's plan and, and uh, advice, and he had his way with them right on top of the roof. Um, under the tent, but the whole nation of Israel knew what was going on there. And so we have all those things. And so you might ask, how, um, how does this comfort us to, to read this section? Why should we keep our fingers in this particular section when God's saying, I'm going to have the sword not depart from your house, I'm going to raise up uh, an enemy from within your house, and all these, how is it a comfort? Well, it's a comfort because God's word comes true. And when we come up on those days and those circumstances that are dark and like, man, God's not winning the day, we can go back to his word and like, no, God's promised this. God's declared that this would happen. And here's another good news of, of this particular text. The I wills in this text don't stop with what I just read. He also says this, um, I will take away your sin. I will cause you to live and not die. I will place the consequences of your sin on my son for your sake. That's all in the same text. And so in this key text, I think, 2 Samuel 12, 10 through 14, we see all those things. God's promised that all of these things are going to come. I will do this and this and this, and yet I will save and I will redeem and, and all that. So you'll see in that one text, the gospel, it's not for, because of us and what we do that's good. It's what God has done and promised that we have life and we're forgiven, children of the king, because he placed our sin upon the, his son. Um, so with, with our fingers and all those passages, marking them for us to come back to. When our feet on the rock, let's move forward and um, as we face some pretty big foes in this text. Um, when we fail to keep our fingers on these pages and we start looking at the characters and the circumstances in our life and in this story more than we look at the promises, uh, we're going to continually be shaken. Martin Luther wrote a hymn that we sang today, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, a what? A bulwark never failing. I uh, titled the message, A Bulwark Never Failing, question mark, because it seems often in life, in our life, and, and also in this text, that perhaps he is. And Charles Wesley wrote, uh, Rejoice, the Lord is King, and that hymn starts off with this, His kingdom cannot fail. He rules o'er earth and heaven. The keys of death and hell are to our Jesus given. And then Daniel, in Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, says this, The God of heaven will set up his kingdom and it shall stand forever. So with these truths and our rock that un, on, on uh, these truths that undergird us as we go into 2 Samuel 16 and 17, and, and with these truths, I don't know if you guys were ever played sports, if these truths hanging over the locker room, God's kingdom will never fail, uh, as an encouragement, we'll move on to 2 Samuel 16, uh, 17, verses 1 through 14. Here's um, the teaching outline for today. God's sovereignty uh, is it on the rocks. Is God's sovereignty on the rocks? Uh, a bulwark never failing question mark. 
Uh, the first thing we'll look at is the first four verses of chapter 17. Uh, Ahithophel's wise plan to destroy David and his kingdom. And then we'll move to Absalom's fatal inquiry of Hushai. We'll explain more of who these people are. And then Hushai's alternate plan, um, a different plan than Ahithophel's, and then God's ultimate control. So with our fingers on the pages and promises, let me pray. Uh, as we consider the real and dangerous threats to your kingdom and your king, O oh God, uh, may we not lose sight of the hope that we have in David's greater son, Jesus, who is sovereign over all things. And, and may we not lose the sight of the truth that your will will be done. Ah, and I, I pray, Father, that as we finish today and look into your text today, that we would become and be more convinced as we leave that you are in control and that your promises and your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So uh, God's sovereignty is it on the rocks. I think that you look around your circumstances, a lot of times we might say, seems so. Uh, it's not always evident that the Lord is in control. There's so many things, circumstances and trials and problems and brokennesses and sins that uh, come against us and come against his kingdom and Days and seasons are filled with troubles, making God's sovereignty and, and his goodness also seem hard and maybe invisible or hidden to us at times. And I want to ask you this question before we move on to the, the text. Does, does God's sovereignty and goodness ever seem distant to you? Does God's goodness and kindness ever seem hidden to you? Uh, do you ever have trouble believing his promises are true and they will come true and they will hold you fast? Um, facing his son Absalom's deception and and betrayal, David and his faithful followers have fled the city of Jerusalem as his son Absalom is coming in. They've crossed over the Kidron Valley. They've ascended the Mount of Olives to the very top of it at the summit. They're fleeing down the other side, and now they're out into the wilderness, weary, tired, troubled. And uh, David's dark journey out of the city was pointing to another dark night out of the city of his son Jesus. And we looked at how they fit together while David was spared, it says, you shall surely not die. We've already read that. Jesus was not spared, and he was crucified as a criminal outside the city uh, to purify for us or for himself a people for his own possession. And uh, we looked at some Old Testament texts that showed us that that's where they took all the things that were impure in the temple and in the city. They took them outside to the Kidron Valley, and they burned them there. And it was a picture that Jesus has purified for himself a people so that we could live in the city and live in the presence of God uh, as one, ones who are pure, not because we are on our, by ourselves, but we've been made holy by Christ. So um, along David's dark night's journey, that journey we just mentioned, he meets a number of people. He has a lot of encounters, and he encounters faithful men, um, the likes of Ittai the Gittite, uh, Hushai, we'll hear of him a lot today, Hushai the Archite, uh, the high priest Zadok and Abiathar, and he also encounters a dishonest guy that was, a, that was a servant of Saul and then Mephibosheth, and his name was Ziba, and he took advantage of David in the situation that was there. And then we encountered a, or he encountered a, a pesky, I, I don't know, a pesky little guy, I, I think. It uh, doesn't say that, but he was throwing stones at David and his men, and he walked along the side and cursing them. And so you have David and a, a lot of men that are going on, and this little guy throwing stones left and right. <laughs> I was like, it's amazing that the, one of the guys didn't just go like, you know, cut his head off. We're going to see him again, and we'll see why, uh, what God had for, for him. That's, his name is Shemai. 
Um, and um, following his encounter with Zadok and Abiathar, when he was encountered the, the high priest, the two high priests and their sons, he continued on to the Mount of Olives, and um, that's when he gets the news. And, and, and this news, I'm going to read it from chapter 15, verse 31. Now someone told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. Now, this is terrible news. And if you understood the relationship that David had with Ahithophel, and then you hear that he's um, defected and gone to the side of Absalom, then David is grieving and lamenting, number one, the loss of a faithful friend, and number two, he knows that, wow, Ahithophel is so wise, and his advice always comes true. It's like the advice of God, is what our text says today. And so um, the first thing that happens is David immediately prays, Lord, would you cause Ahithophel's counsel not to succeed? The very promises of God and the kingdom is riding on it not succeeding. Uh, and wouldn't you know, nearly before David finishes praying, the very next encounter, he encounters his faithful friend Hushai. Uh, and God will use that faithful friend to counter Ahithophel's counsel and win the day. And that's a spoiler, yes, but it's beautiful, and that's good. God is at work. We don't need to miss that. Um, right when David's praying, God has the very next encounter to be the one, the person that he would take and uh, answer David's prayer from. So David's faithful friend, Hushai, and, and the traitors, Absalom, his son, and Ahithophel, his faithful, unfaithful now friend, uh, they arrive at Jerusalem together, and that's in 2 Samuel 15, 37, uh, and then 2 Samuel 16, 15. So what, what the texts are, if you're reading the text and reading through, uh, you can go from 2 Samuel 15, 37 and skip right on over to 16, 15, and the story would just flow. And in the middle of that is some really important things, but it's kind of a, a different time, time frame that's, that's going on. So no quicker had Absalom, Absalom set foot in the city, he was coming to Jerusalem to take the throne, then he very unexpectedly meets Hushai, David's faithful friend, and he knows him to be so. So uh, Hushai initiates the conversation with Absalom by saying, long live the king, long live the king, which Absalom took to mean um, long live King Absalom. Now, Hushai didn't say long live King Absalom, but because Absalom was pretty prideful and vain and uh, it, it seemed such, and I think that Hushai crafted it so that it seemed such. Um, he's, he's greets, uh, he, he greets him that way. Long live the king, Absalom. And um, so I think Absalom is saying, wow, I, why would you greet me that way? You're really close to my, my dad, and you've been a faithful follower of his. And so he questions him, and he says this. He's like, is this the way you're loyal to your friend? And so here's Absalom talking to Hushai, and it's like, is this the way you're loyal to your friend? And I, I kind of picture Hushai like biting his tongue, thinking, Ugh. he wants to respond like, is this the way you're loyal to your dad? You know, but he bites his tongue. He doesn't say that because, are you guys with me on that? All right, that's good. Um, and, and so he's, he keeps the plan that he and David made, and he doesn't go against Absalom at this point. Uh, he refrains, he sticks to the plan, and while Hushai pledged his loyalty to David, I think what he was saying is long live David in his mind, long live David. Uh, his words were so ca carefully crafted and Absalom was so full of himself that he misheard it as a pledge of loyalty to himself. 
Uh, and I think Absalom was thinking, man, this is going great. You know, David and all those who would come against me, they left the city. I have no resistance. And, and look at this. I've actually had my father's good friend, another one of my father's good friend, Hushai, come and, and pledge loyalty and praise me. Uh, it's, this is amazing. A most unlikely foe has become my friend, and there's no resistance. So with it, David's two of his most faithful friends, um, two of his most capable friends, two of his most long-standing friends, Ahithophel, and, and now seemingly Hushai, going to Camp Absalom. Man, things are looking, looking pretty, pretty bad for David and God's promises in the kingdom. Um, and so Absalom is filled with vanity and pride and, and with great confidence. He wastes no time in turning to Ahithophel and saying, okay, you're the wise counselor. Man, I'm ready to get the show on the road. Like, let's take the, let's take the city. Let's take the throne. What do we do? Uh, and, and so he asks, what can we do? Uh, and, and it seems to us that Ahithophel, and we saw what his, his counsel was last time, and we talked about that, and it seems like that Ahithophel is winning the day. But let's keep our fingers on the pages and see that God is, is really at work. And we'll see that Ahithophel's wisdom and counsel uh, won the day only temporarily, um, but it ultimately accomplishes what God had promised and declared, and then what he is moving forward to for the future, um, a new king, uh, which is Christ the king. So what David had done secretly with Bathsheba, Absalom did in the seeing of all of Israel. We saw that last time. You can go and read that again if, if you're not um, with us on that one. And the plan that Ahithophel had was very successful. It was very evil, it was very wicked for uh, hey, Ahithophel said to Absalom, go and take your father's uh, concubines, wives, and, and have at them and show all the nation that you're now the king and you can do as you please. And he does that, and what he does is he draws the battle lines. And there's nobody can be on the fence anymore. You're either for David and his company, or you're for Absalom and his company. Uh, yesterday we were at Presbytery. I'm going to take a little side note. And Rob Cord, and if you don't know what Presbytery is, ask me afterwards. But we were there, and Rob Cord uh, was there, and he came under care of Presbytery. He gave his testimony of how he came to know Christ, uh, how he, how, what difference Christ makes in his life, and then a testimony of how he's been called to the ministry. And he was um, 100% accepted and voted on. He's, that was a, a really great thing. But in those um, times uh, of, of deciding and, and voting, they gave us three options. It's for, yay, or against, nay, or abstain. Well, what happened here is Ahithophel said, we're going to do this thing, and everybody's going to know, you're either for me or you're against me. And this is a big deal. And so what happened with Ahithophel, it was successful, and all those men that were with Absalom were very much with Absalom, and those that weren't, man, they just fled the city probably too. They catch up with David, I would assume. Uh, so Absalom felt like, man, I'm on a roll here, uh, and he turns to Ahithophel again. He's like, what's next? Uh, let's keep this going. Things are going great. There, there's no resistance. And, and David's you know, best friends, longest-lasting friends, most loyal friends, most capable friends, they're on our side. Uh, they have very little going on over here. We have all the, all the big, big dogs. Uh, you could say. And, and so before we go to that next counsel that Ahithophel gives, I want us to have two things in mind. I want us to have the contrast of David and his men and the current condition and Absalom and his men and their current condition. 
And if you read the text, David and his men in their current condition, uh, they've gone over the Kidron Valley, they've ascended Mount of Olives all the way to the summit, down on the other side, down into the wilderness. They've been lamenting, they've been grieving, they've been crying, they've, they've had their heads covered and their feet uh, bare, all that. And it's just been really hard, really sad, really long. And they're weary, they're tired. We read in the scripture, we'll even read it again next week, that they didn't have provisions enough to eat, uh, and they needed to be refreshed. They were beaten down. That's David and his men. Uh, over here, and by the way, a lot of the men over here were foreigners. They hadn't been around David a long time. They didn't know David's plan and battle plan and how to work with him and, and all that. Over here, Absalom, we've just been talking about that. Man, he's having the day. He's just going right into the city. There's no resistance. David's men, best men, are coming to his side. Uh, so that's kind of have that in mind. The second thing to have in mind is just the gravity of Ahithophel's moving to Absalom's corner. I, I think two things. I've already mentioned them. But the first is just the lament of David. Man, a strong lament, like this was my faithful friend. And if you knew how David held friendships with Jonathan and such, you would know his heart was there. And secondly, as Ahithophel, what he said went. I mean, his counsel was like God's counsel. It accomplished exactly what he intended to accomplish. And our text says that Absalom knew that it did that, but David also knew that it did that. And so have those two things in mind uh, as we go to the, the next part. So David had prayed uh, for Ahithophel's counsel not to win the day. And yet it was the third quarter of the game. And it was the end of the third quarter of the game. And David and his men were being destroyed. It wasn't even close. There was no way that they were going to make it up in the last quarter. That's the picture that you and I are to have. And to, I think if you were with David that, at that moment and, and the day before as he was traveling down the other side of the Mount of Olives and worn and, and weary, I think that you would be like, man, God's sovereignty and goodness is certainly hidden. In fact, I don't even know if it's there. And not only how are you going to pull this off, God, but God, I'm cursing you because there's no way you can pull it off. I think that perhaps that would be a temptation and probably was a temptation. It's so often hard to see that God is good and that God is sovereign in our life. And yet I'll just say this, watch and see. Let's keep going. Uh, so all is on track for Absalom to have a major victory and a takeover. Uh, Ahithophel's um, counsel was good. It was successful. And his advice was critical for the success of Absalom. So critical that David prayed against it. If, it. if it doesn't fail, then we fail. If it doesn't fail, then God fell. Uh, so far, so great for Absalom. He turns again to Hithophil. Let's go. Let's go. You know how they raised their hand fourth quarter? This is our quarter. We've already had the first three. Let's just finish it off. And so uh, here, here we are, the first of the actual text. Really? That's okay. Ahithophel's wise plan to destroy King David, verses 1 through 4. And we'll have that up there. Let me just talk through it. So first of all, Ahithophel says, hey, let me select 12,000 choice men, and we'll go after him. That was number one. It was a four-step plan. Some of you uh, are involved in a 12-step plan. This is a four-step plan. And uh, so the first step of that plan is let me... Uh, select 12,000 men, um, 
a lot of men, 12,000 of them. Second, let me pursue David and let me strike him or fall on him, the text says. He and his men are weary, they're exhausted, they're tired, they're hungry, and we'll surprise them and we'll terrify them. That's the second thing. Second, the third thing is I will execute only David. Like I'm going to go after them, but I'm going to only kill David. That's the third thing. Fourth thing is this, I'll bring all the rest home that they would serve you, King Absalom. And then the last thing it says in the text is then there will be peace. But if there was any kind of peace, we know that it would be false peace. Anyway, um, Ahithophel's second plan was just as good and just as wise as his first plan. It was a, a great plan. The, the ratio would be five fresh men that have been around Absalom and knew how to fight uh, against one, every one of David's man, men, and that hadn't been around him and that were weary and tired and hungry. Um, and he says to Absalom, Ahithophel says to Absalom, move quickly while David is, and his men are weary and tired and worn and kick them while they're down. Finish them off. And I don't know if any of you guys watch any of the martial arts stuff. I do. And some of you are like, oh, how do you watch that stuff? And uh, sometimes those guys are just beat up, and the guy up, up top, and while the guy's down, they just kick him right in the ribs and just keep kicking him. You're like, oh, that's awful. And that's what Ahithophel was saying, like, finish them off. Uh, was that good advice? Yeah. It was great advice if you're on Absalom's side. It was really, really good advice. Finish the enemy off. Finish David off. Finish his people off. Um, so next week we're going to see that David's men didn't have sufficient food or rest. Uh, that's next time. But Ahithophel's advice was very wise. Uh, his first plan was wise, and it, it was successful. His second plan was wise. And it was so wise that verse 4 it says, So the plan pleased Absalom and all the elders of Israel, all of Absalom's elders. So I pleased them. Ah, that's good advice. Let's do it. And then, and then something happens in verses 5 and 6 that just doesn't make any sense. It's, it's almost beyond understanding uh, why Absalom would turn and, and ask this question. Let me read verses 5 and 6. Then Absalom said, now call Hushai, the archite, also, and let us hear what he has to say. When Hushai came, had, had come to Absalom, Absalom said to him, Ahithophel has spoken thus, shall we carry out his plan? If not, you speak. Now, I don't know why in the world he, he wouldn't just take Ahithophel's wisdom because he, we already read in the text that he, as well as King David, knew that Ahithophel's wisdom was the key of winning and succeeding. He was like God guiding and speaking. That's what it likens them to. I had two thoughts of maybe this is why. Perhaps Absalom was just like wanting Hushai to say, of course, that's perfect, just to get a confirmation, maybe. The second thing was maybe perhaps uh, Absalom is still testing Hushai. Are you really for me? Like uh, Ahithophel said, we're going to kill David. Are you going to say we shouldn't kill David? Uh, that's possible. I don't know. We don't know for sure. But regardless, uh, Absalom doesn't just take Ahithophel's second counsel. He actually turns to Hushai and he asks him, what do you think? If we should do it, let's do it. If you don't, what would you do? You speak. Um, and Absalom doesn't just ask Hushai, what should we do? He actually reveals the whole plan of Ahithophel as he does. Hey, here's the plan of Ahithophel. What do you think? And I think that you and I should have our fingers in those pages, and we shouldn't miss that God's at work, that God has revealed 
to Hushai the plan of Ahithophel so that Hushai could think through and create an alternate plan. That's amazing, I think. Uh, so what is Hushai's alternate plan? Uh, what's Hushai's response to um, Absalom's question? I think he gives a pretty dangerous response initially. And in 2 Samuel 17, 7, um, we can kind of put it up there. And if you have your Bibles open, I'm, I'm doing a little more literal translation on this verse on the, on the uh, screen. After being asked his thoughts uh, on Ahithophel's counsel, one commentator said of Hushai's response, he shot himself in the foot. And Hushai literally opens and, and responds back, no good, the advice Ahithophel has given. And that would have seemed to have been the end of Hushai. No good is the advice that he's given. You know, if Absalom heard no good is the advice of Ahithophel, I can imagine, like, why Hushai out, right? But I think that Hushai gives just enough or softens the blow just enough with a couple of words at the end of that sentence that he doesn't, like, get taken out immediately. So he says this, No good, the advice Ahithophel has given this time. And uh, just to make sure that our English uh, Bibles like have that word in it, and it's actually in the Hebrew, I went back into the Hebrew, and those words are very clear. It's like, this time, it's not good. And so I think Hushai softened the blow just enough uh, that, like, I don't agree with Ahithophel this time. And so what I was thinking he was saying to, to them, and they would have heard, man, Ahithophel's advice, it's usually like God. I agree with you. It's usually spot on. You usually have to take it or you're going to be doomed. But this time, there's, there's a difference in it. Let me tell you. And he goes on and he tells them why this time they shouldn't listen to Hithophil's plan and why this time they should listen to his alternate plan. Uh, this time it's a problem. If you follow his plan, there'll be problems. Let me explain why there'll be problems and let me offer you a better plan, verses 8 and 9. Moreover, Hushai said, You know your father and his men that they are mighty and they're fierce like a bear robbed of her cubs in the field. And your father is an expert in warfare and will not spend the night with the people. Behold, he has now hidden himself in one of those caves that's near the Jordan River on the other side of Mount of Olives or in some other place. Hushai appeals logically to Ahithophel. You know, you know your dad. You know, you know him better than Ahithophel knows him. He was like pushing on his pride, on his vanity. You know that he's a man of war. You know that he is a great strategist. Uh, He's experienced. He's been in situations like this before. There's no way that your father is going to be staying with all the troops. He knows that he could be taken. And so he's going to be staying in one of those caves away. He's going to hear the commotion. And he's going to get away. And you can't kill what you can't find, right? Right? We know that. That's why deer hunters put like all kinds of things out to bring the deer there, because if you can't find the deer, well, they're free. Uh, So he'll be hiding in one of these caves, and Ahithophel um, means to be helpful, but but he's not being helpful. He he doesn't, this time he doesn't understand what you and I know about your dad, and that's kind of what Hushai is is telling him. You you know your dad's smarter than that. Um, You know that when the troops attack their troops, that David will hear and he can, he can get away. Hushai continues in verses 9 and, and 10. You can just have it up there and I'll talk through, through this instead of reading it all. Um, and you know, and, and you know uh, Absalom, his plan to kill only David, that sounds really good and, and all that. 
Uh, but even the most valiant warriors, they know David's stories, right? They know the story of David and Goliath. Matter of fact, they might have even gone to the museum in Jerusalem where David brought the head of Goliath. I think that that's a beautiful picture. It's like, hey, I, 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 don't, I don't know if we talked about that. I think we did. Did we talk about that? I don't know. But, but David got the head of Goliath when he cut it off and he took it to Jerusalem. And what he was saying is like, this city is going to be the city of the king. We're going to win it one day. And that time it wasn't in the king's hands. Anyway, it wasn't in the Israelites' hands. But anyway, it's like these, these valiant warriors that you're going to send in, they're going to know the story of David and Goliath. They're going to know that David won the day. They're going to know uh, that, they're going to remember that hit song. You know, you know the one that made it all the way to Gath? that was the top on the charts? It was a timeless song. Like, man, Saul has slain his thousands, but what? David has slain his ten thousands, right? They've been, they're still singing that. And, and the valiant men that you're going to send in, they're going to know that. And, and then it, it says in the text that if perhaps David's people strike first blood, then your people are going to flee. They're going to be terrified. They're going to know that David's been in the situation before. He's won the day uh, through the hand of, of God. So Ahithophel, he's usually right. I'll give you that, but not this time. Um, and so Hushai was continuing to appeal to, to Absalom's vanity and pride. You, you know your dad better. Uh, Absalom, he's like a, a, a man of war. He's like a lion. And uh, he keeps it going in verses 11 and 12. But then he says, but I counsel, I counsel, I'll give you different counsel, that all of Israel be surely gathered to you. From Dan even to Beersheba, as the sand that is by the sea in abundance, and that you personally go into battle. So we shall come to him in one of the places, come to David into the one of the places where he will be found. And we will fall on him, we will kill him, as the dew falls on the ground. We'll pummel him. Now, it's interesting that Hushai's first encounter with Absalom is filled with uh, Hushai's appealing to Absalom's pride. Ah, oh, long live the king, long live the king. Um, you know your dad better than Ahithophel knows your dad. You know he'll be hiding. Ahithophel probably doesn't know that. And these 12,000 troops that he wants together, why, why only 12,000? Man, take a few more days. <laughs> Basically give David time to recover. Uh, take a few more days and gather all the people. You've done a really good job, Absalom, in those four years that you were making a name for yourself and tearing down your dad's name. Man, take a few more days and gather thousands more. And you lead the way. You're the man. You know, don't let Ahithophel take the glory. You do it. You lead them into battle. You take the people with them. Uh, Ahithophel was like, I will choose. I will gather. I will go. I will kill. Uh, let's do this. But then uh, Hushai is like, you go and you gather and you kill and you're the man. And uh, he was making Absalom the center of everything. And that played into Absalom because Absalom, what? Made himself the center of everything. And so he's like, hey. So although Ahithophel's advice is way better, Hushai was more convincing. And um, it feels, but that's not all. That feels like an infomercial, right? That's not all. There's even more. He keeps on pouring it on, and Hushai continues even more, verses 12 and 13. So we shall come to David, and we've read this first verse. We'll read it again. Uh, we shall come to David in one of the places where we will find him, you know, he might be in a cave, but we're going to go where we can find him. We will fall on him as the dew falls on the ground, and of him and all the men who are with him, not one will be left. If he withdraws or runs away from where we are into a city, man, then all of Israel will be there. We'll bring ropes to that city, and we'll drag that city uh, into the valley until not even a small stone is found there. Basically saying this, why are you going to 
only give 12,000 troops. Let's get, let's get the whole nation. And why let somebody else lead them? You lead them. You're the king. And why don't we stop with killing David only? We should kill all those who've been loyal to David and not loyal to you. Let's take them all out. Uh, and so what does Absalom and his elders do with that? You know, they first thought, ah, oh, Hithophel's second advice is like gold. And then we read and um, verse 14 says this, and this is we're transitioning into God's ultimate control. Um, so why, why does Absalom and his elders, that, that, what do they do, first of all? Not why do they, like, let me stick with this. What, whose plan are they going to take? Then Absalom and all the men of Israel said, the counsel of Hushai, the archite, is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. Now it's not, but it's more convincing. It played into Absalom's pride and vanity. And uh, man, Ahithophel, he was amazing. Did you see what he did with that first piece of advice? The, the counsel was, was really good, but the counsel of Hushai, it's, it's even better. Wow. Hushai was cunning and, and crafty. You know, is, is, it that, is that what accounted for Absalom and his men's turning to, to Hushai's advice and, and taking it because he was cunning and crafty? Is that the reason that the, uh, Absalom and his company like moved to, to Hushai's advice? Was the secret weapon, we always thought the secret weapon was Ahithophel and his advice. But are we finding out that the secret weapon is Hushai and his advice? No way. It's not. Hushai's not the reason that Absalom and his men turn. We read that in the second thing. No way. The explanation of the whole story rests not on man, but on the Lord God. The explanation, and in the explanation of the story, we find the main point and application of the sermon. Let me read uh, verse 14b. Now Yahweh had ordained it, what? He ordained that they take Hushai's counsel instead of Ahithophel's counsel. He ordained it to nullify the good counsel of Ahithophel in order that the Lord might bring disaster on Absalom. And therefore he could say in victory to the Lord's anointed and to all of us. And you know in the story, God's sovereignty has been largely hidden, invisible, not seen. There's not been any mountaintop experience of, boom, God does this, no fireworks, no glitter, no glory, no big thing, no new news, no new thing to run off to. In one half of one verse, we get the essence of the whole here. The plot against the Lord and against his anointed goes to pot. Why? Because Yahweh has ordained it so. This is the usual and amazing work of God and the ways of God. This is his normal but spectacular manner of work. His unseen sovereignty is often hidden behind the activities of life. His goodness and his sovereignty is often hidden by your faithfully going to work, meeting needs of your family, studying for that exam, meeting that friend, saying those words, and engaging in the corners of the room conversation, interacting with our downtown community and with one another, uh, walking along obedience in the same direction with the same people faithfully over time, faithfully loving and, and fervently from the heart, uh, those that you, God has knit your hearts to. God's sovereignty is often hidden by your normal life. And yet we see in the story that it's always there that he's always there. Through it all, Yahweh rules and he reigns. And all oh, that we would run to him and trust upon him at all times. For God's sovereignty and goodness 
is not always obvious to us, but he's never absent. He's always working, he's always there, and his sovereignty rules over all things. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this text, this story. It's the un- unfolding story of redemption. And Father, we thank you that as we look here, uh, seemingly you were not winning the day. Seemingly it was the other side. And yet through it all, you were at work in section of the story after section of the story after section of the story. Even when things seemed terribly bad, even in that, you had already declared that that would happen. But you declared further on that you would not give David up, that he would not die, that his sin would be placed on his son, ultimately on Christ. And Father, we thank you that all of us, even though we live in days and seasons that we look around and we can't imagine that your promises will come to pass, not for us at least, Father, we thank you that they will, and that we can put our fingers in those pages and we can turn back to those pages. And we thank you that there's pages further along and further ahead that we can go to and we can see that you've inaugurated your new covenant and new kingdom in Christ. And Father, that will be consummated one day. And Father, I I pray that as we look back and as we see and as we'll see in the next weeks ahead how, Father, you won the victory and the triumph even when it it seemed that you wouldn't, that that would give us confidence in, in our day, in our situations, that we would trust upon you and not lean on our own understanding, that in all our ways we would acknowledge you and that you would guide us to the victory that we have, certainly and secure in Christ. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Let's stand together.